This is Dr. Kate Eckert with the Form, Function, and Flow Lab podcast. I'm a chiropractor, yoga instructor, anatomy junkie, and movement educator. And I am looking forward to exposing you to all sorts of ways that you can prehab your body to avoid injury and maintain those hobbies, activities, sports that you love to do. And we'll also be focusing a lot on the pregnant and postpartum journey and making sure that you can return to those activities that you love or even keep doing them while you're pregnant. Hi, this is Dr. Kate, and I wanted to do a podcast episode on the negative aspects of epidurals. You know, we did an interview with Kayla Holtz a few months ago, and we talked about how necessary it was for her to progress in her labor and how it's an important part for some people. But I think, at least for my patients in the office, and I treat a ton of um, prenatal and postpartum patients, most of them that deliver in the hospital setting don't see a reason at all as to why you would opt out of an epidural. So when I told them that I didn't have an epidural for either of my two kids, it's definitely not because I like pain or just to be able to say that I did it. Um, There were a few significant reasons that I chose to opt out of it. And I think that they're kind of glossed over. And I want someone to make their decision on their birth plan based on all the facts and everything, you you know, all the different scenarios that might happen so that you can make the most informed decision. Because I definitely, um, uh, I like to promote, you know, an individualized birth plan that is specific and geared towards you, your family, your situation, all of those things, and making it be super adaptable because birth is so unexpected and not at all predictable. So I just like people to be get all their facts so that they're not surprised and that they're able to roll with the punches as they happen in, in birth, because that is definitely bound to bound to occur. Um, So my main reason for not getting an epidural is because I, number one, with my biomechanical background and working with rehab and prehab in the postpartum journey for patients, I didn't want to have a C-section. And sometimes having an epidural can have this domino effect where it makes you more likely to have a C-section. Now that isn't intuitive. You don't think epidural, you'll definitely need a C-section. And so you kind of have to peel back the layers to see why that would make it make you more likely to have a C-section. One of the things that happens when you have an epidural is that labor can slow or stall. Um, When that happens, then, you know, they still need labor to progress. So they will often give you Pitocin. Pitocin is a shot to help speed up labor. That's great in itself, but it, um, can be hard on the baby. So you're not feeling pain because you have an epidural, but baby is under a lot of stress because the contractions are fast and hard. And um, so often 
that causes heart irregularities or D cells in the baby. And then you're forced to maybe push before you're physiologically ready. Um, and when that happens, it's not good for you and it's not good for the baby. And then you might not progress quickly enough. Baby's under stress and then you end up having to have a C-section. So it's kind of that snowball effect. So I'm going to give a story of a patient that recently delivered and has, you can see how that progressed for her, kind of the, the um, stereotypical progression. She was able to have a vaginal birth, but it came at, some, at a little bit of a cost. Um, so there, there's that reasoning for me. Um, you know, C-section is a major abdominal surgery that I wanted to avoid. I work with patients all the time, rehabbing that, rehabbing that scar, reconnecting brain with core. It leaves you open to low back issues because of instability in the core, SI issues because of instability in the core. The other thing is if your core doesn't feel centered and strong, then your brain starts to lock up things around it. So shoulder issues, hip issues, neck issues, coming from a core instability. Um, that's why we always start with the core in the office, even if you're coming in for a neck issue. It, it is all connected. And, you know, we work with people that have had laparoscopic surgeries that haven't been pregnant all the time. And that's even a more, a less invasive kind of surgery. Um, so abdominal surgeries are no joke. The healing after a C-section um, needs to be respected, not rushing into it, all of those things. The other thing that I wanted to avoid was a spinal headache, which is something you can have. It's not super common, but I have suffered with headaches since high school. I work really hard to keep them at bay naturally. And um, for me, I know how debilitating they are. And I didn't, I know how important the initial uh, mother child bonding is. And I did not want to be distracted by a headache, which I know for me personally can be pretty hard to stay present when I'm, when I'm having a really intense headache. So that is something that can occur um, with the, um, Injection site, I've treated lots of patients that have had issues with their injection site afterwards. So low back pain around that area, radicular pain, which would be pain coming down from that area, down into the hips and, and leg area. Um, that's more of a hands-on experience. Like patients come after they've had a baby to me and say, this spot where I was, where I had my injection still hurts years later. Uh, I don't have a lot of research or anything on that that I have um, come across. It's just more of a hands-on type of experience. Um, the other thing with the epidural is like the actual birthing process. So when you have an epidural, you can, there are types of epidurals that are less intense. So that would be like a walking epidural. So you're able to still move. You can change positions and um, be more mobile during laboring. But the typical epidural, at least at the hospital that's local to me, are just um, you're confined to the bed. You're not allowed to move around. 
And that's not biomechanically the most efficient way to deliver. You're not using gravity. You're not allowing the shifting and moving of the pelvis needed. You know, babies don't just come out head down and come right out. They have to maneuver around the around the pelvis, the pelvis and make some turns. Um, and sometimes being able to shift the pelvis side to side, opening up different spaces helps to navigate those those turns. And it's harder to do when you're confined to the bed. For me personally, I know that I would not have been able to labor on my back comfortably. I just couldn't do it. Um, they checked me and I had to lay on my back once when I was delivering my daughter and I projectile vomited everywhere just because it, it was so uncomfortable and hit a certain nerve. Um, so everybody's different. Some people labor just fine on their backs. One thing that I like to tell my patients that are thinking, have this mindset that they're thinking, I'm going to have an epidural. I'm going to have a pain-free birth. It's going to be a piece of cake and I'm going to deliver pain-free. I think it's really important to realize that epidurals don't always work. So you need to be prepared for delivering without an epidural in case you get there late and they don't have time to do one. If you they do it and it simply doesn't work because that does happen. Or if they inject and only half of it works. You know, there's all these different scenarios where you might not get that pain-free birth that you have in your mind thinking this is going to be this piece of cake kind of thing that happens. Um, so I think it's super important to know that ahead of time, just like I think it's super important to know the steps of a C-section in case you have to have one so that you know what's going to happen, what that's going to look like, what the recovery is going to be like. You don't want to be um, caught off guard when you have a newborn to take home with you. You should be well-versed in all the different things that might happen because that's going to make it be as stress-free as possible. And it's a huge deal. It's a huge accomplishment, no matter what way you slice it, no matter what way you do it. So it's going to be a stressor no matter what. So reducing it and being as, um, well-versed and educated as possible is, in my opinion, the best way to put your mind at ease. Um, the other thing with delivering while having an epidural is the, the strain on your pelvic floor when you're doing it. Um, I know for myself, when you're having your contractions, they might not necessarily be here's, you know, you have this strong of a contraction, the next one's a little bit stronger, a little bit longer, the next one's closer and a little bit stronger and a longer. There's this crescendo that gradually gets up there and then you have the baby. For me, it was this ebb and flow of a small one that I would rest through a bigger one that I would allow my body to do the pushing down of the baby. And then I'd ride out another easy one and back and forth and back and forth until the baby's head was basically out, like 
fully. You could see the hair and you're like, oh, the baby is there. Now we're going to push. Um, when I hear stories from my patients that say they have pushed for two, three hours, that is wild because you should be using the uterine ejection reflex to get the baby out. So your body should be doing it for you. So that would be the other thing with an epidural. Just because you're um, 10 centimeters dilated does not mean it is push time. Um, and if your baby's heart is decelling and it's either get the baby out now before you're ready physically or have to have a C-section, then you've got these women that are pushing before they're physiologically ready and they're using all this effort to do this, this accomplish this task that their body is supposed to be doing the lion's share of. Um, and I, I think it's, it's almost like this analogy I've seen on different creators accounts where, you know, is I would compare it to sex. So are you pushing before your body's physiologically ready or same way as are you having sex and the guy is too big or have you not had enough foreplay that you're physiologically ready? Both things. Is the baby too big or is the guy too big or are you not physiologically ready? Um, I think it's super important to let those steps happen naturally um, and if you pre if you push too early, think about the trauma to your pelvic floor where you're pushing a round object through a square hole or vice versa, you know, before it is open and released. So again, you've got, you might be 10 centimeters dilated, but is the baby fully engaged and at the right station? So if the pelvis is, you know, this opening that the baby's coming through. As the baby's head descends, we've got different stations that the baby is coming through. What station are you at? You know, your pushing shouldn't occur until you cannot possibly resist the urge to push anymore. And my thought is, can you truly feel that sensation if you have an epidural? Are you fully aware of what it feels like down there? how much can you resist the contraction, that kind of thing. The patient I was talking about that I said I would um, talk about that cascade um, had, it was her first pregnancy, um, super fit, super healthy, just did all the things, walked like a champ, um, had super easy pregnancy walk in the park she measured small her fundal height so one way that both midwives and OBs lay midwives and nurse midwives measure your progress is through fundal height so that would be taking essentially a tape measure or like it's measuring tape from your pubic bone to the top of the uterus the fundus and it weirdly measures accurate on all women, no matter the size, it's like this magic trick. And it, I would say it's almost more effective than the ultrasound readings because ultrasounds late stage are notoriously 
inaccurate in telling you how big your baby is. So if you get an ultrasound and they say your baby's too big and you need induced, you should tell them that it's not very accurate because the, and it can go either way. It can be, you know, on the small side or on the big side. The day before I delivered my son, I had an ultrasound done and they told me he was seven pounds and he came out over 10. So I wanted to, I mean, I didn't have any issue with it, but as soon as they, as soon as I got him up on my chest, I was like, you are one beefy little boy. <laughs> There's no way you're seven pounds. But so either way, ultrasounds can be off. But the fundal height is pretty darn accurate. Her fundal height was measuring small. Her ultrasound was measuring small. All signs pointing to maybe our due date's off kind of a thing. Her due date came and went around where I'm at. In hospitals, you are allowed to go two weeks over. I am a two-week over deliverer in both my kids. That's just when my body likes to keep its babies in there for. So her doctors and midwives decided they wanted to induce at one week over, just one week over, even though they knew she was measuring small on both ultrasound and fundal height, not even close to being ready to deliver, not physiologically ready to deliver. They had her come in, they gave her Cervidil, which helps soften your cervix because it was not remotely ready to deliver a baby through it. And then they gave her Pitocin in the morning. She labored like a champ before she's ready. Your body is like putting on the brakes. It's like, nope, it's not time to have this baby. You can give me Pitocin. I'm going to suffer through these contractions, but we're not going to dilate. So I think it was nine hours in for still hadn't dilated past three or four centimeters. Um, you know, Pitocin again are very hard, rough contractions. She decided she needed an epidural because she was in a lot of pain and then labor slows. And then they have to increase the Pitocin. And then the baby's heart decels. All those things that we know are going to happen, happened. And, you know, she said it was, they took off her rings. They're ready to do um, a C-section like that if she can't push now, even when she's not ready to get the baby out for the baby's safety. And she was lucky because she's super healthy, super fit, and it worked out. It was pushing for hours, exhausting, long. Her baby was, you know, small head percentile, fairly small baby, but they still had to do an episiotomy, which is cutting the perineum and use a vacuum. Now, what would have happened if she was maybe not quite as healthy, hadn't been as active, um, had any other comorbidities, it might have transitioned into a C-section. So that is where that increase in C-section happens. Now, you probably know a ton of people that have a C-section and you think, mm, oh, well, if I have a C-section, I have a C-section. I just want to go over some numbers with you 
as to like why I think we're numb to it. We don't really see anything wrong with it because we're so used to it. Um, and um, just because we're used to hearing about it and our numbers are really high in this country doesn't mean it's, um, I don't want to say normal, but uh, it it has a lot of drawbacks. So the numbers that I have are not from this year currently, but they're from 2019. So the U.S. numbers for C-section rates are 31.7%. And um, you might say, okay, but they're um, probably older moms or um, breach or A, B, and C and kind of brush it off to the side with that. Um, but that's not true. Uh, when you look at the actual numbers, you can see that um, 25.6% of all births that are low risk are also C-sections. That's a, more than a quarter of all births that are low risk are C-sections. Now, what is low risk? That would be a first time mom, single baby. So we're not talking twins, triplets, anything like that. The baby's full term and it's in a head down position. So all of the things are working for these people and it's still 25.6%. Um, now, the, the drawback there is that maternal mortality rate increases five times higher in people that have C-section. So it is a major surgery. You have more complications like death if you have one. Um, and if you aren't aware of mortality rates, so in the U.S., that um, rate, the mortality rate, is, it's per 100,000 live births. So in the U.S., it's 17.4 deaths per 100,000 live births. In New Zealand, it's 1.7. Norway, 1.8. Our neighbors in Canada, 8.6. So not great. And even more atrociously, in the U.S., Black and non-Hispanic women, um, their mortality rate is 37.1 out of 100,000 live deaths. That's awful. And that's a whole other rabbit hole we could get down into, but it's, it's pretty sad. And obviously something has to change in the way we care for pregnant women and have them labor and follow up care or any of those things um, to have better outcomes. So it, to me, that's why it was so important to avoid that C-section and avoid the increased maternal mortality. And I don't love pain, but I wanted my recovery to be easier, my maternal mortality to be lessened. And that was the price. If that was the price between having an epidural and not having an epidural, that was one that I was willing to to go with. Um, I wouldn't get hung up 
on not having an epidural. Like, like Kayla said in our past interview, if you are just not progressing and it's simply not happening, it, it is okay to pivot, to change your birth plan. But it's something to keep in mind that it's so common to have an epidural and not look into why you might want to avoid it. I want you to know all the facts as to um, how you might save yourself on the back end with recovery. Um, so that's my spiel on epidurals. If you have any other questions for me on, on it, um, I'd be happy to answer. Oh, and one other weird side effect of epidurals that I would be remiss to include is I had a patient that had an epidural and, and it didn't wear off. So she wasn't able to walk coming home from the hospital. So she was able to have a vaginal birth, but the epidural didn't wear off. She had a toddler at home. She had to have family come in and help her. She's, you know, was able to regain the ability to walk a few months, you know, over a course of a few months. But if you told me I had to either do natural childbirth or I wouldn't be able to walk when I got home and take care of my two kids, I would say, sign me up for the natural route. Um, I've never had another patient that had that happen to them, but obviously it is something that can happen. So if you have any questions, uh, just let me know. You can email me or drop a comment and I would love to answer. So have a great day. I look forward to working with you guys. And if you have any topics that you'd like discussed, make sure to comment below and let me know because I'd be happy to share all the knowledge that I have on those issues.